still in forests where koalas live or did, a major conference was held in Port Macquarie to discuss how land could be set aside for koala parks. And one challenge is, as you know, how to increase the depleted populations. Steve Johnston is on the case. Stephen Johnston, Social Professor, uh, University of Queensland. You've been at University of Queensland most of the time? Yeah, all my life, as it were. Almost <laughs> 35 years, I think, close. I'm, I must be due for one of those special gongs, I think. But you started, what, as a glass blower? Not a glass blower, a glass washer, glassware washer. I was in the labs and in the parasitology department, and I think my first job was dissecting out horse guts, you know, looking for parasites and horse guts that were about two foot high, which I was wandering into. <laughs> so a bit different now what I'm doing. And when did you graduate to koalas? I did it in my honours degree. I did a zoology degree at UQ and I became fascinated. I had just been transferred again at the university to a reproductive laboratory where we were collecting ram semen and all this sort of stuff. I'm thinking, I think I could make something of this work because there was a real need for this sort of stuff in the wildlife area. Well, we're at a conference, a big koala conference. You spoke this morning. What was the reception like? Oh, it was interesting. I think it's always interesting when I speak about these sort of topics because we have a diverse population here. Uh, some of them see the science in it and others think that it's a little bit strange collecting semen from a koala. But no, it's, you have to spread the message and that's really what I was here to do today. And I was going to ask you the, well, avoid the obvious question, how do you get semen from a koala? But you hinted at the method with other animals. Do you apply yeah. those methods to koalas? Yeah, absolutely. So you first observe what the animal does when he naturally mates and from that you can sort of get a feel for the approach that you're going to take. And it depends where you're talking about a captive animal, you're talking about a wild animal. So with a captive animal you can do things like the use of an artificial vagina where you actually interrupt the mating process that were between a male and a female and you convince him to service a, an artificial vagina rather than the real one. And it's a bit complicated because he's mating up in a tree at the same time but well, that's probably another story from another time. So you time. drag him down? No, 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 no. We basically put them on a pole. We bring the female in when she's an estrus and we bring the male underneath and we allow him to establish a neck bite. So is it, all of that's quite normal. And then before he inserts his penis, we divert it into the artificial vagina and he, he ejaculates and we collect a semen sample that way. So that's sort of the non-invasive way, if you like, of collecting a sample. But in wild animals, obviously, you can't do that. So in wild animals, and we've done this in the field quite often, is that we would bring the animal from the tree, we would anaesthetise it, and then we'd use a process known as electroejaculation. And again, this is a technique that's been used very commonly in the veterinary practice, and particularly useful for wild animals because, obviously, you can anaesthetise the animal at the same time and collect the sample. And so, yeah, that technique sounds a little bit funny, but we basically put an electrode into the rectum and it's a very gentle electrical stimulus and you stimulate the ejaculatory response and that's how you collect the semen sample. Good thing is that mammals have got pretty much the same design all the way through. <laughs> you can do it on all sorts of creatures, including us. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I, I work in an area where we've been doing quite a bit of work on DNA fragmentation of sperm in men from paraplegic men. And that's exactly how they collect the semen sample from yeah. them. Hmm. And is it a bit of a race to get enough semen to serve a population which is diminishing? Oh, look, absolutely. Getting the understanding and getting it into the sort of public domain is an important part of what we do. In a conference like this, there's obviously a lot of effort that's put into habitat, and that's absolutely correct and proper. 
but there's a lot of parallel sort of things that we could be doing at the same time and I consider the sort of stuff that I'm doing, artificial breeding, as part of that sort of process. It's a long-termer, it's thinking about putting away genes that could be important for the future and so you've got to do that now rather than wait to the end. Convincing folk, convincing governments to support that sort of stuff sometimes gets a little bit tiresome but yeah, it is a race, it's always a race. Is there a great variety between various koala populations around Australia, genetically? Oh yeah, I mean I think we've heard some really great talks just on that very topic and I think with the koala genome coming so clear and, and providing such information for us, we're going to be able to literally pick apart all that sort of stuff. And surprisingly it's probably not as diverse as we thought and it, it varies quite a bit between the north and the south. Certainly as you go down south there's a lot less variability, a lot less heterogeneity. Mm. But I think it gives you the set of skills and confidence that you can be starting to move things around, you can be considering concerns if the animals become too inbred that you can do something about it so I think in a combination of the techniques that I'm using with the knowledge of the genetics then it, it becomes very functional it allows you to do things. When you've got the semen how long does it keep in the fridge? Ah well that's the amazing thing my talk was about cryopreservation which was very difficult the sperm itself are quite difficult to freeze but if you put them in the refrigerator they last for 40 days and it's remarkable there's no other mammal on the face of the planet that has that same capacity so if you're talking about species like pigs, uh, horses, they maybe last five or six days. But we're talking 40 days. So I don't know whether that sperm is still fertilizable at 40 days, you know, still potential to produce a baby at 40 days, but it's remarkable. A koala has an Easter cycle of maybe 30 days in between if she doesn't get mated. And so that means you're covering that period enough that if she comes into estrus, then if you collect a semen sample, you should be able to get inseminated into the female during that 30 day period. 30 days out of the whole year, no, no, no. So what happens with the koalas is that once they come into a breeding season, typically it's around about September, is that they will cycle continuously until they get mated because they're induced ovulated just like a cat. So with koalas, they have to be physically mated and probably something in the semen as well, very similar to camels in fact, that when they inseminate, that starts the ovulation process. But if they don't get mated, then they'll continually cycle and cycle every 30 odd days. And so they can do that probably for about oh, five times. Um, so they have the capacity, but most of them get mated quite quickly. And so they have their embryo and then their joey and that's it for the season sort of thing. Marsupials doing amazing things. What with the kangaroos and wallabies having, uh, what, three on the go at the same time? You know, if something happens to the pouch, they can always bring out the spare one. Yeah, absolutely, no. Marsupial physiology, anatomy, I mean, it's, it's Australian, and it's it's unique, and it's fascinating, and, I'm, and there's a lot we can learn from our native animals and, that have application, and, and people like Marilyn and Renfrey and those and have, have been looking at this sort of stuff for a long period of time, and it's just fascinating. When you dive deeper, and I th that was one of the things that I was presenting at the conference at, in my conclusion, was we don't have enough fundamental research. There's a lot of applied stuff, and people want to solve problems, and that's what science is about, but you still have to understand things, and I think that part of it we've forgotten a bit about in Australian science and I think we've got to get back to that and be fund that sort of research. Marilyn Renfrey in Melbourne who uh, was not only a fellow of the Academy of Science and one of the leaders of our own Academy of Science, but fellow of the Royal Society of London about two years ago she was appointed. Yes, no, she was very proud of that commitment. <laughs> no, that was fantastic for her and I'm delighted for her. So no, she's been a real influence in my career, particularly in the later part of the career and I value her input a lot. Thank you very much and back to the conference. Thank you very much. Stephen Johnston, Professor of 
Reproductive Biology at the University of Queensland.